to God's Word as it's found in the Gospel according to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we'll begin reading at verse 29 and then we'll be reading through verse 17 of chapter 2. For those of you who are visiting, we're in a series of messages uh, in the morning uh, going through the Gospel of Mark. In the evening, we're on a series of on the tulip, not the, the Reformed doctrine uh, that we think of it, but the Reformed life that we are called to. Mark chapter 1, picking it up then at verse 29. Last Lord's Day, we considered these firsts that are found in Mark's Gospel. The first sermon, the first disciples, and then the first healing that Mark encounters. And that was with the man with the evil spirit there in the synagogue. And uh, that which happens and takes place, displaying Jesus' power and authority. So that's happened, and now you have to go to verse 29. And immediately. He left the synagogue and entered the high house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. The fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, And he was made clean. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. They came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for these words that you have given us, the ones that we think we know so well that seem so familiar. We pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob this morning as he enlightens us, that we may learn new things, we may understand your word in a different way. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We have in this passage before us a picture of compassion. We have learned over our study so far in the Gospel of Mark of the fact that Mark is placing before us through the Spirit the one who has all authority, the one who has all power, the Christ, the Son of the living God. But this one, this Christ, this Son of God, this only begotten Son of God, has come not to be served, but to serve. He has laid the foundation for that and that which we have read in the first part of the Gospel of Mark in various ways. And now Mark, through the Spirit, discloses to us that this one of great and glorious power and authority, this Son of God, this Son of Man, is one who is full of compassion. Not doing this out of a sense of duty or obligation, but doing this out of a compassionate, loving heart. So in this passage, I want you to see three things this morning. First of all, it's a passage about compassionate preaching. Secondly, it's about a passage about compassionate outreach, and it's a passage about compassionate healing, preaching, outreach, and healing. 
First of all, we encounter then this passionate preaching. Oh, it's not in the chronological order that the passage is given before us, but let's put first things first. Jesus said the reason he came was to preach. This was his purpose. He came to declare, to herald the gospel, the good news. So this should come first to us. We should see this. This should be the first thing that when we think about the coming of Christ, we, we think about, yes, the healing is wonderful and we'll get to that. Yes, the calling is spectacular. It's amazing. But what we need to remember is Jesus himself said, I came to preach. And what compassion in that. See, think of the situation that we have left and where we pick this story up. He's been in the synagogue of Capernaum. Everyone is amazed. Everybody is in awe of his teaching and of his power. As we follow that through, there are many miracles that are performed. People are coming. They can't wait until the Sabbath is over so they can start carrying people to Jesus. They're watching the night sky because in Jewish thought, as soon as three stars have appeared in the sky, that marks the end of the Sabbath. And you can almost see them. They're in waiting. You see, they can't carry anyone to Jesus during the Sabbath. So they're waiting. They're waiting. When are those three stars? And as soon as they come, here they come, bringing all those who need to be healed. And Jesus is healing many. He is at the height of popularity here in Capernaum. Can you imagine what the next day was going to bring? Can you imagine what this would be like if on the evening of that seventh day, if on the evening of the Sabbath, the town is turning out, what's going to happen the next day when this word filters out? But notice Jesus. Let us go. Let us go. How opposite our world. We would draw upon that. We would feed upon that. Our politicians would salivate over this. Why would I go to some place where there's hardly anybody? I need to go where the crowds are. Where there's hundreds, where there's thousands. Instead, notice Jesus himself went off to a remote, desolate place to pray. And then when the disciples encounter him, it's, let us go. I have to preach in other places as well. And look where he goes. We're told, verse 39, he goes to other synagogues casting out demons. He's not going where it's easy. He's going where there is the most opposition. He's going to places where Satan is throwing his power and strength at Jesus. Where Jesus has to encounter. See, he's done in Capernaum. He's cast out demons. In a sense, you could say, he owns Capernaum. 
It's eating out of the palm of his hands. They're coming to him. But Jesus says, let us go. Go where I need to cast out demons. Go to where there is opposition. He didn't go to where it was easier. He went to where it was more difficult. You see, you have to see in that then the compassion of Jesus. Because it's not about him. This you see, this short little passage is a little microcosm of the work of Christ. Think where he left. He left the glory of heaven to come here. He left the sinless state of glory. He left where he was adored and worshipped by angels to come here to hunger, to thirst. To deal with people like us. The compassion of Christ. Seen here for the people of Galilee. But it's really showing us his compassion for you and I. It's a passage about compassionate preaching. Secondly, it's a passage about compassionate outreach. We find this in the section uh, that closed uh, the reading this morning, there in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And we see that as compassionate outreach because look who it is he's reaching out to. He's reaching out to this man who is a tax collector. A man who is hated. A man who is assumed to be some sort of traitor. A man who is in league with the Romans. You see, you got to be the tax collector by submitting the highest bid. Rome didn't want to engage in wasting their precious time in collecting these taxes. Rome said, listen, we got this figured out. We can double dip here. We can double dip because we can not only collect the taxes, but we're going to put the job of tax collector up for bids. Whoever submits the highest bid gets to be the tax collector. So they got money coming in from all those who want to be the tax collector, plus they have the money coming in from the taxes themselves. And Rome knew how to tax. There was a poll tax, which all men ages 14 to 65 and women aged 12 to 65 had to pay simply for the reason of being alive. Just because you make, we're alive, you had to pay a tax. Starting to feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? There was a ground tax. A ground tax included 
the payment of one-tenth of all grain, one-fifth of all wine and oil produced, and a tax on fish. That's the reason why Levi is in a tax collector's booth in Capernaum. It's a fishing village. There's a lot to be made here. And on top of that, there is also an income tax, which was 1% of one's annual income. We perhaps would long for that day. But that wasn't the only area. There was another area of taxes where it became lucrative to become the tax collector. See, those things are set. You couldn't play around with that. There wasn't any money to be made in being the tax collector, just collecting those. But there was another whole area. Because you're probably thinking, if I bid to be this, there's got to be money in it, right? There's got to be some money in it. There's got to be a reason behind it. And there was. The second area of taxes or duties, people had to pay taxes. Separate taxes on using roads, docking your boat in a harbor. There was a sales tax on certain items as well as import and export taxes. A tax was even paid on a cart. In fact, each wheel was taxed. And you see, this became rather arbitrary. This became that which the tax collector got to set. So the tax collector could collect some taxes and then, well, let me give you the example, okay? I doubt very seriously that many of us pay a whole lot of attention to that which we actually have to pay when we go through a toll booth. We're so afraid we're, we're, we're going to go through the thing and get a ticket, okay? That person could just about tell us anything. That person could look at us and say, you know, that vehicle doesn't quite meet the standards. I know the sign said $1.75, but it's really $2.50 because of the vehicle you're driving. And we'd probably go, okay, here's the $2.50. Okay? Because we're so afraid of what might happen. They got cameras all over the place, and we're thinking they got our license plate. Who knows what they're going to do? This is the way the tax collector made money. He just arbitrarily assigned costs to various things, because there was no set percent. So he's raking it in. This job is given to a Jew. So the Romans are rubbing their hands in glee, because the bad guy in all of this is not really Rome. It's the Jew. Hated, despised, detested. Notice our text. Verse 13, he went out again beside the sea. The crowd was coming after him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. What amazing compassion. What an amazing outreach. One wonders sometimes how many times when we really stop and judge our own hearts and our own motives, how often we pass by the Levites. Whether we're afraid of them, 
scared of them or whether we detest them. Whether we think they are such a horrible person involved in such a horrible job. Why would we ever reach out to them? And yet here is the compassionate outreach of Christ. Follow me. This is what we're called to. But you see, Jesus doubles down on this, doesn't he? Matthew, Levi, so excited he invites Jesus to his home for a meal out of thanksgiving, out of gratitude, inviting, notice, his other sinner friends, his other tax collectors. The first thing upon Levi's heart is that others need to hear this. Notice he doesn't just say, oh boy, I better leave that behind. Better just invite some Pharisees and some holy people to this banquet. No. These people need to know. They need to hear this good news. They need to hear the one who has come to bring us salvation. And so he immediately is turning to those of like course. This, of course, because Jesus is present there, brings about the criticism of the holy ones. Now listen to the compassionate outreach. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Gonna get my hands dirty. Gonna get my knees dirty. I'm gonna get my hands pierced. I'm gonna get my brow pierced. I'm gonna get my side pierced. I'm gonna get my feet pierced. I'm gonna die upon a cross. I am going to suffer hellish agony. I am going to know the forsakenness of my Father. I am going to experience hell. Because I'm compassionate. It is the compassion of Christ. And this, you see, is what ought to motivate us. This ought to be that which drives us. This ought to be that which propels us. To go to the world, to go to our community. Are there people within a thousand feet of this building who do not know Christ? Absolutely. Do you know where one of the most beautiful, beautiful worship places is? India. It's a building we call the Taj Mahal. 
Tell me, is India a place where there is poverty? Is it a place where there ought to be compassion? Yeah, you see, in that example in the pagan world, we, we see the inconsistency of religion. You can have the world's most beautiful place of worship, but if you have no compassion, what irony. What irony. Do we care that people a thousand feet from here know not Christ? But here we see the compassionate outreach. But we also see compassionate healing. In fact, we have several examples of that in this passage, do we not? We have the example of Peter's mother-in-law. Now, there's many tracks we could go down here. Raises lots of questions, obviously. How can Peter be the first pope? And popes have to be unmarried, and so do priests. If Peter has his mother-in-law, well, you just edit the text and change it so it's not there. So you, know, you can't go to your Roman Catholic friends and say, see, you're wrong. This is, this is what it says, because they'll turn to their Bible and say, no, I'm not. They, 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 your Bible's wrong. So there's no point in the arguing of this. Okay, With them... But it is a reminder in our own understanding that that is just made up and fallacy because we know that it's there in the text. It's been edited out. So she's one. She has a fever. Jesus reaches out, touches her. She's raised. She, she, she no longer has the fever and she immediately begins serving. There are many, we read in that passage at the end of Mark 1, who come with many diseases and demons. I've, I've mentioned that previously, but, but just get the context of all that's happening. Right? That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many. Why? He's compassionate. He sees the effects of sin upon this world. There's the paralytic. The man who is unable to walk. What compassion. Not a chewing out. What are you guys doing with that roof? Don't you know I'm down here preaching a sermon? Why are you interrupting me? Oh, instead, he sees the greater need. A man who needs to have, oh, not his legs, but a man who needs to have his sins forgiven. Stand up and walk. A man who had been an... The, the term we use is an invalid. Did you ever break that word down? What is an invalid? Invalid. Why was he invalid? It meant that he was unable to worship. He was unable to enter the temple. He was unable 
to give glory to God in the means that had been provided. He was invalid, and Christ validated him. Not only are your sins gone, but rise and walk. But let me take just a little bit longer with the leper. Let this passage just rise into your heart. We sang, take your word, O God, and plant it deep in us. May the truth that we hear here with this leper touch our own hearts and lives. I want you to note six things in regards to this healing of the leper. First of all, the unclean person. The law had given specific commands about how these people were to be treated. Luke, in reporting upon this very same incident in chapter 5, verse 12, tells us that this man was full of leprosy. See, leprosy covered a, a lot of different categories. It, it covered rashes. It covered eczema. It, it covered pimples. It covered boils. Everything was classified. All skin diseases are classified under the term leprosy. Now, if we had mosquito bites, that would have been considered under the category of leprosy. So there was a policy because you couldn't treat them all the same. You, you had to figure out what it was. So there's a policy. You have to be set aside for seven days, and then you go back to the priest, and the priest examines it, and he says, no, it looks like it's disappeared. Okay, you're welcome back into fellowship. Everything is great. But if it continues, now you, you have to become the outcast. This man does not have a couple of little dots. This man is full of leprosy, meaning it has taken its full effect. His body has become ugly. He is at the point where it is hideous to even look at. He stinks because of the rotting flesh. The rabbinical tradition added to what was said. It said that if a leper even stuck his head inside a house, the house was pronounced unclean. It was illegal to even greet a leper. Lepers had to remain at least a hundred cubits away if they were upwind. Four cubits if they were downwind. Josephus, the most famous Jewish historian, summarized by saying that lepers were treated as if they were, in effect, dead men. There were no illusions in this leper's life. He was indeed a dead man walking. This is the man. He comes full of his leprosy. A permanent condition, you see. Nothing's going to change this man's condition. This man's next step is death. Physical. He's already experienced spiritual death because he hasn't been able for a long time to go to the temple. 
He's experienced that emotional separation because he's had to keep feet and feet and feet away from any family who would have anything to do with him at this point. His body is rotted so much, the only thing left is death. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. What a picture of the human condition, is it not? For without Christ, this is who we are. Rotting, stinking, dead men walking. We are a stench in the nostrils of God because of our sin. And there's no way out. There is no, there is no way to remove this condition as far as man is concerned. And then something astounding happens. It's verse 41. Moved with pity with compassion, with the full sense of understanding all that this man had experienced. See, Jesus does, right? He knows fully everything this man has been through. Every attempt this man has had to wash himself of that leprosy. No, it can't be! Every word that has been spoken Every snide look, hateful look, that has been given. Jesus moved with pity. Knowing this man's life, with knowing this man's soul, with knowing this man's predicament, Jesus does the unthinkable. Touches him. This is something this man has not experienced for years. A human touch. Just having somebody put your hand lovingly, caring. Jesus touched him. If you desire, you can make me whole. I am. And Mark's most loved word, immediately, the leprosy was gone. Not, hey, I don't know, go home, take a bath, let's see what happens. Not, so sorry, man. This life's got to be tough. This has to be hard. It's gone. It's gone. See, this is you and I. This is the compassion of Christ. 
He comes down to this earth and He touches us. He touches us with His grace, with His love, with His mercy. And immediately, all that sin is gone and is no more. Jesus gives him one instruction. Do the right thing, man. Go show yourself to the priest. But it's interestingly, Jesus moved with pity, but then note what it says. And Jesus sternly charged him, verse 43. Why does Jesus sternly charge him? Man, go to the priest. Show yourself to the priest. Why? Because Jesus knows exactly what this man is going to do. When this man goes out and freely tells and does it immediately. See, that's where Mark drops the word, right? There is no, and immediately he went to the priest. No, instead he followed his own agenda. Now we can't fault the guy, can we? Man, he's so excited. He goes out and tells everybody about Jesus. But that's not what he was told to do. That's why Jesus was stern with him. See, Jesus is looking right into this man's heart and he knows. <laughs> I know what you're going to do. I know you're not going to do what I command you to do. I know you're not going to live the way I want you to live. You're not going to go to the priest immediately. You're going to go out and tell everybody. Do you want to know the real grace of this story? Jesus healed him anyway. Because isn't that the mirror of our own lives? We've experienced the grace of God, the touch of God. But do we do that which God calls us to do? Do we live the way God calls us to live? Do we sin? Yes. We fail to live by that which God calls us to do. But you know what? Thanks be to God. He heals us anyway. Forgives us. Even though he knows how oftentimes we're going to fail. How oftentimes we're going to disappoint. You talk about the compassion of Christ. I see it in a mirror every day. made me whole. Father, thank you that the one who has come to seek and to save sinners, the one who has come to give his life as a ransom for many, the one who has come not to be served but to serve, is the one who comes in compassion to us into our lives. In Christ's name and for his glory, God's people say, Amen.